This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right. Hope everybody had a great holiday weekend. Short week this week as a result. It's Tuesday already, everybody. Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Players back on the field as well for OTA sessions. And still out there now as Steve and I have ducked inside and it is so hot out. Steve was melting out oh there. Apparently, gosh. the thick blood from the winter is not thinned oh out for him yet. It is so hot. <laughs> it is like, like dangerous hot. I am never, ever going to complain that it's too hot here. I will not do it. Why not? Because we barely get enough of it. We don't get any of it in comparison to other cities. So when it's here... I'll deal. Uh, I'll soak it all well, I mean, up. You don't, let's face it. You don't have any choice but to deal, even when you don't like it. Well, that's right. But I don't, I don't want to anger the weather gods and complain when we actually have warm weather, if you know what I mean. If it ain't perfect, I'm complaining. That's it. Speaking of warm weather, it was a spectacular, spectacular holiday weekend. Holiday weekend. I was even though you and you. I were hard at work with chores and getting caught <laughs> up on yard work yeah. and stuff. My goodness. Well, that's that time of year, you know? It was great, great week. I hope everybody had a great Memorial Weekend. Thanks for all those people out there, the friends, family, and those of you who actually did serve. Thank you so much for your sacrifice, both at home and abroad. Um, Our country uh, owes you a great debt of gratitude, and sometimes one day out of the year doesn't seem like enough, but thank you so much. And it was was a spectacular weekend, and I hope for all of you out there uh, who have served or who have loved ones who served, I hope it was a spectacular weekend for you as well. What is usually on the grill for you on that weekend? Actually, to for me, um, I think hot dogs, burgers are a must on an American holiday like Memorial Day. Right, but that's also, like a staple on the 4th of July. But I right. think the menu is a little wider for yes, Memorial Day. This one was a huge pork thing. Oh, yeah, marinated. That was Ooh. one of the days, too. You had like a three-day pork weekend. You can kind of go all the way down. You, yeah. Pork loin, I think, is more apt. It's it was my daughter's great. birthday weekend, great. so she got to pick, and she went with Chevetta's chicken, which there's nothing awesome. wrong with that. There, that, is an, that is a buffalo. That is a buffalo staple. A buffalo staple in yes. the summertime, yeah. That's and, an, I was exposed to it first at the Erie County Fair. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I ditto, it moving first. up here. Yeah, it's great. I'm, we, had, we always go through this. During the time when our we were a young family growing up, we always did like four things with the all everybody. Yeah, a Bison's game, the Erie County Fair, the Buffalo Zoo, and Darien Lake. All four of those were on our bucket list for every summer. We did them at least once. Yeah, and uh, the Erie County Fair. Well, I got to be honest. Probably right now, still my favorite. Oh, really? And that's where I was exposed to the Chevetta's chicken for the first time. Probably because of the food, if I had to guess. Yes. <laughs> it is, actually. I was going to say something. I was going to say some snide remark, but the, yeah. it, the truth is best. Yeah. Uh, the, the food is awesome. The, uh, the funniest thing that happened in our weekend, so I got my, my pool open. I am officially the, the pool boy at the household. So I got everything ready. So we had family coming over, daughter's birthday, whatever. And then my dog, who it's been well documented, is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, And I'm sure a lot of other dogs do this when they're around a pool. When they see the people they live with going underwater and swimming and stuff, they get a little freaked out. Oh, yeah. They get freaked out. Like, (laughs) they went under. What's going on? 
The, yeah, the dumb ones do, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and I have one of those. So we had, to, we had to put her outside the fence just so she you know, wouldn't run the risk of like falling in or anything. So it's later in the weekend. And we're just sitting poolside, feeding right. the water, whatever. He dropped your guard. My, my, I think it's my daughter and my wife are in the pool with a couple of our friends just standing in three feet of water, you know, just talking, whatever, staying cool by staying in the pool. And the do- one of them has, I think they had a piece of food in their hand, just snacking on something in the pool. Right. So my dog is inching her way to the very edge of the pool in the hopes of catching something that just mm-hmm. might fall mm-hmm. in the water or whatever. And <laughs> we're usually worried about the front paws going in. Because once those go in, the back legs can't keep the dog from, you right. know, now they're submerged, they're inverted, you got a problem. Especially for a dog who inexplicably hates water, <clears throat> in, a, in a pool sense. Is a lab mix, too, No, right? she's a pit. Oh, she's a pit. Our I older can, dog was I a can. lab. She hated the water, right. too. So that's inexplicable. Unexta- understandable. Go ahead. In some weird twist of rare physical dog ability, with her head pointed towards the pool, somehow her back legs fell in first. <laughs> it was the biggest laugh of the entire weekend. <laughs> Do you, have you ever seen a pit bull's eyes when they are utterly terrified of right. something? I mean, it looks... Like they've like, like they're cartoon. gonna pop right out right. of their head. Oh yeah, it's like right out of Tom and Jerry. Those were her eyes for about fifteen seconds. She thinks she's gonna pull herself up out of the pool. I got a cantilever edge. Like oh, yeah, not no happening. Yes, yeah, no way. Not happening. <laughs> so fortunately somebody rescued her and lifted her up and out of the pool. <laughs> but oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. I think we laughed for about ten minutes. She is just <laughs> that's she is a knob. We, it is what, unbelievable. What is your I don't see I don't have a pool. What is the etiquette for like a beer, a pool beer? A uh, can, no bottles, no bottles. Yeah, that's cans it, are though? fine. That's it though. Just walk on in. Stand yeah, cans in the are three fine. Feet of water then. Okay, cans are fine. Um, you what know, about food? The koozies are popular this time it, of year. Yeah, where know? does it uh, where does it change over? Like from like from snacks and stuff like that. I mean, you Usually said she had some snacks around the pool. You don't you around don't, the pool, not in it. Preferably, right? Because it's just. Do you want to be, that swim- means you want to be swimming with potato right, chips and nachos? That's Probably what I'm not. asking. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I would, I would tend to lean against Zero that. snacks, but all the drink you, you want. You can have a poolside. You know, yeah. if you're hungry, get out of the pool. Yeah, okay. I think that's fair. <laughs> right? That's, I don't know. That's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm just asking because I don't know these things. Okay. See, I have a pond in the back. That's right. You got the water hole. Yeah, you can. You can do whatever. Yeah, you can feed the fish. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I wonder if any fish would bother you in the same way my dog did um <laughs> thinking no. just from just from below as as opposed to on top but yeah no good weekend great weather fantastic uh we also have a fantastic show in store for you today and it's because mainly the players are back on the practice field otas continue week two and media w- had availability to watch practice today so we'll cover that in earnest offensive coordinator ken dorsey spoke to the media earlier today, as did linebackers coach Bobby Babich. And I don't know about you, Steve, what would you say your biggest takeaway from Coach Dorsey's comments was? were? Um, what was your biggest takeaway well, from Well, it's, his it's interesting. It was 
it was kind of like a nice reset for me because sometimes doing our job, we talk about you know guys like Dalton Kincaid and all these guys shorter, um, all the guys that, that are on his side of the ball, and we're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We got you know Damian Harris. We got Latavius Murray. What's going to happen? It's all this fun stuff. And he, just, he was like, we're just getting to know these guys. Yeah. You know, we're just kind of finding out what we've got. So, you know, he kind of pumped the brakes for all the Dalton Kincaid, Travis Kelsey comparisons. I, listen, what you really want, and he said it in not so many words, I'll paraphrase. He said, listen, we want Dalton Kincaid to be the best Dalton Kincaid he can be. We're not trying to make him into Travis Kelsey. Just be a, the best version of you you can be, and we'll live with the results. And we got to find out who that might be. Certainly a young player like Dalton Kincaid's got all the potential in the world. And all these other players they drafted and have signed as well. And guys from last year and, and the players they brought in, they all have some certain amount of potential. And he's right. The question is, where would the best version of that potential end up being? And that's what they're trying to find out. Are you talking out. about this year or just long range? Every, every year. Uh, certainly they're going to take steps. I mean, he said it too. We're just trying to find out who the guy is. How he plays, how he practices, what's he like in meetings, you know, kind of questions he asks, you know, what's he look like when he's on seven on seven, what's he look like in team, how different are those things, all that stuff. There's so much they don't know about him, and there's so much he doesn't know about the offense and the nuance and all that stuff going into it. So it was nice by Ken Dorsey in his remarks, just like, say, well, pump the brakes here. Let's not, you know. And we say it, it's trite now. It's, it's been said so many times, stereotypical. Let's not give the guy a, can't, a bust in Canton just yet right? in his first OTA. But having said that, when you go out there, you and I are watching him. I said, I like the guy. He, he looks good to me. He catches the ball well, runs good routes, crisp. He, he does things, a player his size, uh, he does things better than you'd think he'd be able to. Certainly catches the ball great. There so, seems to be a yeah. spatial awareness to his game. And we heard Brandon Bean talk about that after they drafted him, saying that he has a feel for coverage. And I realize we're, we're miles away from real football right now, but just in the way you see him move, find space on the field, um, I think they're pretty confident he's going to eat up zone coverage all day long just because of that. It's almost like a wise beyond his years kind of spatial awareness yeah. out there. Like I've said, like I was talking about last week, when you want to run a route, Kincaid has that ability to think and give the quarterback what the quarterback is looking for. Yeah. Not you know, uh, body, you know, body language, hand placement, eyes, the way he runs the route, the way he works the top of the route, and gets into the the second part of the route. Like if he's running a post pattern, that point at the elbow of the post, you give it a little something, but when you come out, you give a absolute angle that the quarterback can gauge as to where he wants to put the ball. So if you come out and just kind of bend it like a banana, the quarterback's like, you know, where are you going to end up here, right? Uh, how, how much bend is there in that banana? I don't know. But when you run an elbow on that route, you, he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to be right out there. Stuff like that. It yeah. sounds simple, and it is, but some guys have the ability to present that to the quarterback in a way that they time it right and their body language and when they're going to expect the ball. To, it's easy for the quarterback to feel comfortable just letting it go. Kincaid, you can see, you know, we're sitting out there. Like I said, we don't even know who the guy is yet, and you can see he's got that ability. It's, it's intriguing. Yeah. It's, 
He's passed the early eyeball test. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, and so have some other guys. I mean, he's caught the ball you know, outside his frame well too, yeah. when the ball wasn't well, on the money. We heard, and we, so we heard this. He's got the best hands in eight years out of the draft of anybody, yeah, yeah. like any position, right? So okay, we're gonna have that. Oh, well, let's see about this, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, look at that. Let me just. Uh, oh yeah, well let's let see. Put my glasses on and watch this guy catch the ball. Yeah, he catches catch, this. Just he catches the ball really well. He catches the ball really well. So there you go. So encouraging signs from him, I would say. The other thing that Ken Dorsey said today that was, you know, kind of interesting was just how he self-scouts himself. Yeah. Um, just the process, how thorough it is. I think we all know that coaches feel like they're not doing their job in the offseason unless they're going through all of the situational stuff that they encountered throughout the previous season just as a review to scout themselves, hey, why didn't this work? What can we do here instead that might be better based on the people that we have? So you kind of review, you know, and and work yourself through all of that, come up with better solutions for things that didn't work well, find out how you might be able to diversify what you did do well based on the new talent coming in the door this offseason. So I, I just thought he did a good job of breaking all that down so that people have a handle on just how involved and lengthy that process that was, is. People are like, yeah. well, what are they doing from February to May? They're doing that. And he, he even said it. Yeah. It's a long process. They go out. They, it's, it, I think people who, you know, it's easy. And we get it all the time. We used to, it's almost like an inside joke here on our program. If the offense has a bad day, it's fire that coordinator. If the defense has a bad day, it's fire that coordinator. If he can't call plays, he doesn't know this. He should be using this guy more. You know, you know the list of menu uh, of criticisms that those guys face. Listening to Ken Dorsey just kind of outline. He didn't really go into depth, but he did outline some of the areas that they look at scenarios. They go scenario like all the third down and shorts and stuff like this, and then then they go down game by game. Like how do we get to that point in the game, and why do we call it, and where could we get better in that position? And they like, like that's like every third down, they're going over it and saying how we you know how you evolve because we all know you get caught up in this game. It's like no, I'm, we're gonna do it. We got it, you know that kind of thing. And or it's like we can't do that because of A, B, and C. We're we're gonna you know. We got no shot at that. Mm -hmm. And you go back and you say, okay, why did we get into that mindset? What gate led us to that? And then you, you try and get better from it. He went down through scenarios, down and distance, game by game, scenario by scenario, the you know leading, trailing, um, all of those things. And then they also, they ask the guys on their staff, like, what were you thinking? And why was I thinking this? And what were we doing here? And what can we get better? And how can our communication get better? I mean, it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's exhausting to think about because, and I know this as an announcer, when you go back and watch yourself work, sometimes it can be painful. I mean, because it's, you know, some comes like, yeah, I wouldn't, whatever, whatever. You, you th feel like you can always do better, particularly in live broadcasts. But to go back and do it and spend yeah weeks and a whole process and months doing it it takes a real commitment to getting better and that's and that's part of what he was asked about today it was a it was really i thought insightful yeah the other interesting comment he had was he said 
in self-scouting, we pride ourselves on taking on the identity of this city. We come out and grind. That's what Bill's Mafia is all about. This is an area that tries to find a way to improve, be better, and that's what we try to embody. Um, so I thought that was interesting, that you yeah. know they've kind of committed to running parallel to what they believe the people of this city represent in many ways, and I think I think fans would like – they would love to hear that. Um, sure. Because I'll tell you right now, and I'm not telling anything that Bills fans don't know already, but – if you are a player that puts on this uniform and you play hard for this city, that's good enough for anybody yeah. in, that comes to the stadium or watches you on TV. You give an honest day's effort every single day you come out in that uniform, you're going to be respected in this town. Yeah, and it, it almost comes you, – there are some cases where you almost think it almost comes ahead of the result. You know, I mean, if you're playing hard, you okay. You, you didn't get you. It's a hard league to win, and we get it. But man, oh man, you gave you know, you well, showed us something. Here's you know? a perfect example: Fred Jackson. That's right. Guy never played in a playoff game in a Bills uniform. Finally, did at the end of his career in Seattle. Um, but that guy didn't win much. That guy's a respected player in this city. Yeah. The in, the interesting part about what Dorsey said as well is you know bringing it out like we want to be a, like this city we want to be able to take a punch and come back stronger yep. we want to come be able to grind it out and do the nitty gritty hard work to, that prepares you for success we want to do that we want to show up every day we want to you know get better every day part of our routine is excellence that kind of thing but it's interesting too like he made a point of it and he's probably right. Certainly, your identity is what your players allow it to be, how good they are. I mean, if you've got a really strong roster and they can, you can kind of do it, and I think he's right. When you've got a roster that is as strong, although some, some of it, like the young guys, like Kincaid stuff, unproven, but you've got a strong roster and, a, and higher expectations and a level of excellence already in the building, you do kind of get to choose what you look like with some key decisions during games, with a rhetoric that comes out of the locker room from the media that, that everybody's repeating the same mantra, you get to choose what, how you're perceived in the, in the public. And I think, it's, I think it's really smart and telling that the Bills are like, listen, we like this city. We want to be like this city. Yeah, um, It's true. And it shows up in all the social media and how the team interacts with the fans and how the team plays on the field and the, and the large, the bigger personalities on the team, people respond to that. And as much as the, the players and their talent are self-evident and are going to be what the identity of the club is pretty much their personality is about yeah. what they choose it to be. The uh, other news that came down over the weekend from ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. Free agent offensive tackle Brandon Shell, this is according to Fowler, plans to sign with the Bills, according to a source. It's not done, but it's trending that way, says Fowler. As we know, Shell played starter snaps for Miami last season at tackle when they sustained some injuries on their offensive line. And, you know, they're talking about a veteran player. Guy's been in the league since 2016 and has played for the Jets, Seattle, and Miami. He was just in Miami last season, began his career with the Jets, has played mostly right tackle in his career. The question here, Steve, is if this signing does in fact go through and is confirmed as official by the team, 
it's going to move someone else off the roster because they are at the max of 90 in the offseason right now. Yeah, but at this point of the season, the guy that they may lose may be a defensive back or a wide receiver. I mean, they don't. Right. You know, so it, it, oh, it could be anybody. Yeah, it could be anybody. So it's not like an offensive lineman in, offensive lineman out. But I do think it's telling that we were talking out there earlier. They, they have shown through their roster build the faith they have in Deion Dawkins at left tackle and Spencer Brown at right tackle. They have largely left those two guys alone in the competition. Right. Certainly they re-signed Kessenberry, but you know, those guys were there last year. They have really not gone the route of bringing in competition for Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins. And for me, that shows um, a level of faith that the coaching staff and organization have for those guys that fans don't really share. We've heard, you know, Spencer Brown struggled right. last year, had back surgery last offseason, and got a high ankle sprain and was up and down in his play in large measure, apparently at the opinion of the club, that's why. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he wasn't putting in the work. It wasn't that he wasn't good enough. It was that he was struggling physically. And they've shown confidence in that opinion by not bringing in too much competition at the tackle spot right or extra outside competition it could also be a sign as to their confidence that tommy doyle will come back from successful acl surgery which was an injury he suffered in week three last year he's out there watching practice he's not participating in practice yet so he obviously has not reached full medical clearance coming off the acl surgery and rehabilitation but you wonder okay shell could be in the fold here soon Wessenberry's on board. Is Doyle on the come as well? And Doyle's played guard and tackle in his time here with the Bills. So it's going to be interesting to see what that mix looks like going forward, especially if Shell is added to the fray. So we'll keep our ear to the ground on that and see if and when that does become official. Obviously, there was bigger free agent news over the weekend as DeAndre Hopkins was released by the Cardinals. And from all indications, the Cardinals were trying their darndest all the way through the draft to trade DeAndre Hopkins, but the fly in the ointment was apparently the Odell Beckham contract. Odell Beckham gets a one-year $15 million deal from Baltimore, and when that happened, Hopkins said, I'm not taking, the word is, Hopkins said he's not taking less than that, when he renego- if he was to renegotiate his deal in a trade scenario. Right. And that made trading him difficult because there was no team out there that was capable of stomaching that, that was interested right. in acquiring him, let alone giving up draft capital. So, right. so that, that's, that seems to be the reason why he's available now. They, they released him because they weren't going to get a trade partner. Now, what's the market? You know, that, that's the real question. Yeah. What's he going to take and what's he going to want it to look like? I, I would say if I'm DeAndre Hopkins, unless you hit a home run deal like a, like a, you know, a Tyreek Hill kind of deal where you're getting 30 million. Oh, wow. Or I wouldn't take that. If it was 17 million a year guaranteed for four years, that kind of a long term contract at his age, he's yeah. going to take it. But I would think more often, more likely, is it'll be a short deal with less guarantees, 
but giving him the chance to hit another home run if he comes in and hits a hits it out of the park with the team that he signs with. And yeah. of course now he's like everybody else. He wants to play for the Bills or the Chiefs. Yes. Right. So and the reports from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN is while those two teams are not pulling out all the stops to sign him, they are staying involved to make sure the other team doesn't get him. Yeah. That's the way it's being pitched by ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, which I find to be very interesting. It's like, well, we don't want to compromise our future just to get the guy, but we also don't want that other team to get him either. Right. And they want to make sure that if the Chiefs are gonna if the Chiefs are in the bidding, you want to know exactly what they're bidding. True. If possible. And what made this story even more interesting was Hopkins did not he does not have an agent, like a formal agent. He hasn't through most of his career. Um, he has an advisor, but not a certified agent per se. Well, that has changed as of this morning. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is reporting that Hopkins has hired an agent who will represent him here in this free agent process. So, as we said, he's previously represented himself, but now he's going to have an agent uh, do the work for him. So we'll have to see how that turns out, whether that facilitates or accelerates the process or maybe allows it to get mired in the muck of haggling over dollars and cents. Right. You would like to think that Hopkins has made his money in this league to a large degree. Well, I'm not saying he doesn't want more. Absolutely. Here's but the, yeah, but you're is, right. But is squeezing a team for the most money priority number one right now or is winning? Because he's 10 years in the league, and he hasn't won much. He's only been to the playoffs a few times. So has the priority it's there shifted? It's an, interesting, it's an interesting question, and only he can answer it. Because we've heard guys on both sides of the coin. Either they've made a ton of money, it's, I, I want to win something now. Reggie White did it when he went left Philly yeah. and went to Green Bay. And I'm not saying take below market value, but something that's fair that puts you in the best situation yeah whatever the numbers are if there's a higher number out there and it's the Houston Texans or the you know or you name it a, a team that's down Indianapolis Colts or whoever if it's one of these teams that's struggling and it's a little bit more money how much how much is it worth to you because I'll say this at the end of at the, late in my career and I know I've, I've seen other guys exhibit this exact same mindset it's it's barely worth it even with the money if you're not winning. Even if you get the big contract and you're late in your career and you're not winning, it's really hard to go to work. Really hard to go to work. But if you're winning, the money's irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant to the equation because the money is a given. Because you know what it is going in. You're not going to sign for anything that you're unwilling to play for. So if you get the money, and if, if, if down there Hopkins, instead of $15 million, he gets 10 and he comes to Buffalo. Once he signs that for that 10 he doesn't care. He just wants to win. Now he got to win. And I think it's a really interesting question because it's – because every team wants him to play. Goodness gracious. There are 31 other teams that want him to play for the right m number. And it's up to him to choose where he wants to play. Now it's just a question of what is it going to cost that team and what he's willing to accept. Yeah. Because it is so difficult for a great player to keep going year after year 
and just you just can't win. There's nobody's win. You're not winning. It's a it's soul crushing. Yeah, it's soul crushing. So a guy like D Hop, you'd have to think somewhere in there. Man, he wants to experience the other side for a minute. He wants right. to get into the win column. We have to take a break here, but we do want to let you know that we will have uh, one of the Bills players off the practice field joining us in studio. At Damian Harris and Latavius Murray in previous weeks, we will have linebacker A.J. Klein joining us here in the next segment or two. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We take a break here. Come back with more on One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Tuesday, OTA Tuesday. Players back on the field. Just about wrapping up practice now as uh, we will be hearing from some players at the podium addressing the media in the second hour of our show. We are waiting now to have A.J. Klein join us here in studio. Plan to talk to him about Sean McDermott as a defensive play caller as well as the middle linebacker competition, which – you know, he is witnessing firsthand. Um, you know, I kind I this is no disrespect to AJ, but I I kind of see him as the veteran insurance policy um, at the position because yeah. outside of him, it's Milano and then a bunch of guys that haven't played a whole lot. Right. Dodson is a guy who's been around for a minute. Has um, a handful of starts under his belt. Right. Specter, no reps almost at all at middle linebacker, but he was here last year and play. You know, was in meetings and he's he was a little bit like me. You play linebacker, me wide receiver for six days a week, and then when Sunday comes, you're covering kicks. And that's so. There's a bunch of guys like that. Dodson would fall into that category as well. So would AJ Klein for that matter. But these guys in this competition. I mean, you think back now. For five years, ain't nobody taken any meaningful reps at all at that spot, ever. <laughs> ever. We haven't seen anybody but Tremaine Edmonds at middle linebacker for the Bills in five years. Yeah. Unless the game pretty was healthy. Unless the game was 41 10. Mm-hmm. Second half of the fourth quarter. That's it. So I don't know how good these guys are. And I don't think the coaching staff does either. They might have an idea, but man, oh man, they there's that's a big question mark. It's a big question mark. Yeah. For just it's been five years since they had to go through this conversation. And I asked Bob Babbage, the linebackers coach, today. You know, and we've talked about it on the show, Steve. You got probably three candidates for the job right now that are rotating through. When do you whittle that down from three to two? And when do you have a do you have a drop dead date to go from two to one? And Coach Babbage said it's kind of dangerous to have a drop dead date when you know you know. So to affix a date to when you should know is a little unnatural, at least it was the feeling that right. I got from him. But we do tell we do mention there is only a finite period of time before you have to have a starter not only named but ready for the opener. Right. I'll say this, though, and I said that last week. I said, you, gotta, you don't want to get, like, three guys 33% ready to play. Right. You want to get one guy 100% ready to play. But knowing what I know about this coaching staff, Brownie, you know this, too. 
I mean, they are shockingly patient with some of these guys. That is true. So it might not be just because player X lines up at the Mike linebacker in week one, they still might not be sold. They still might be thinking, oh, we'll give, let's, we'll just see. I, he thinks, I think he's our best option this week. But I, this guy, this other guy, I think he's got more potential. And this organization under Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott is nothing if not, if not about taking the long view. Mm-hmm. They don't throw guys out there when they're not ready to play. They sit guys when they're not 100% or they don't like where they're at physically. They do not get caught up in the moment of, like, this game is the most absolutely most important point in the universe of the history of the universe. Yeah. It's like, wait, this is the game this week, but we got a, we got a careers and games all the time. They are shockingly and almost sometimes uncomfortably patient. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not even sure that week one is the deadline. It's an interesting – the most interesting comment that Coach Babich made with regard to the middle linebacker position and what they're looking for Coach Babbage said, with the way the game is going, if you can have two matchup linebackers, that's very beneficial. I think we all know that Milano is a matchup linebacker. He can cover in, uh, you know, in pass coverage, run with people, that kind of thing. So he, Coach Babbage made it clear today they're looking for a similar skill set at the Mike linebacker position as well. And – how many true candidates are in the pool to compete for that spot? We'll have to see. But that's the reason I asked Babbage the question, because are there four candidates? Because it's going to be tough to get the reps for all of those guys, not only to adequately evaluate, but to get one of them ready to start. And, so, and, and let's not forget this. You're not just talking about finding a starter to position. You're finding the guy that's going to be running your defense. Right. There's that, a that is, more to that's it. a pretty important extra element. <clears throat> this isn't like plugging one guy for it. This is a guy who has to look every other player on the defense in the eye and tell them how it's going to be. Plus, when the offense shifts and moves, he's making sure the guys in the back understand what's going on in the front because those two things have to mesh. And plus, he's got to know his place in it. And, you know, it's just, and he's got to say it in like a half a second. And make sure everybody's all on the same page. I mean, he's got to run meetings during the week. He's got the clicker in his hand talking to his teammates at other positions saying, yeah. hey, when this happens, do this. I don't want to have to tell you. Right? It's a big dude. It's a big job with some responsibility that other players have to go in on it with. Yeah. It's hard. Break time for us here. But when we return, veteran linebacker A.J. Klein joins us here in studio next on One Bills Live. Presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live here on Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And joining us in studio, as promised, linebacker A.J. Klein, fresh off the practice field. A.J., how you feeling? You doing good. well? Feeling good. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's so hot out. <laughs> it's, it's, a buff, it's a buffalo blistering summer day. It was, it was, our blood. blood's all thick from the winter. So degrees. On Friday morning, on Friday morning uh, not for nothing, but on Friday morning there was a frost delay. 
at a local golf courses. You couldn't play because there was frost on it. Yeah. And now today, it's 9,000 degrees. I will say when I flew out last week or two weeks ago, <laughs> they had to de-ice the plane before we took off the airport. <laughs> so quick quick change. That's, quick that's, change. Bad, that's even better. Yeah, quick change in weather. But it's good. It's good to that have the sun shining. It's good to get outside. Um, yeah. No, it's just good to be back on the football field. Yeah. yeah. Easier to get warm, too, when you know practice starts, when it's that hot out. Um, You've seen a lot of football in your time. You've seen a lot of Coach McDermott in your time. You began your career under him as your D.C. So how, I guess in general terms, because Bills fans are curious, mm-hmm. like what, is, what do you anticipate Coach McDermott to be like as a defensive play caller here based on your experience four years under him in Carolina? Well, I think if you go back and look at, my four years there in Carolina was 13 to 16. Yep. Um, we were a strong defense. The, the defense was what ran the team. Obviously, you had Cam Newton on the other side of the football, but um, his leadership and his ability to get us in the right defenses at the right time, not discounting anything. We have, a, we have a lot of talented players back then, but if you go back and watch that tape, you're going to see an aggressive defense, and, and um, that's his mindset. And I think him being in charge – there, there's not going to be a change in my in my mind. I think he's going to go back to the old defensive play calling. Sean fit right into it, even him being head coach at the same time. One of the big question marks is what it's going to look like because under Leslie, and maybe Sean had probably had a voice in this as well, I mean, there was the same 11 guys out there except for the d- rotation of the defensive line. Mm-hmm. You had two linebackers, five DBs, four defensive linemen, 90% of the time. Yep. And now that you take you know Tremaine out of that mix – and put a new defensive coordinator in Sean McDermott in there. Do you think that changes with personnel and their usage? Well, I think right now it's it's a, a lot of mixing. Obviously, guys are getting a lot of reps out there, a lot of different uh, guys moving positions, right? We want a, a knowledgeable defense, especially at the linebacker position. We want guys that know multiple positions, can be plugged and played, because um, we don't want to be a drop-off. Obviously, congratulations to Tremaine and his new, yeah, his new sure. deal with the, the Chicago Bears. He did but, all right. <laughs> yeah, he did all right. He did all right. He's, I, I'm sure he's not hurting, but – um, yeah, so there are some question marks, and those are the things that we're going to be working through this spring and, and uh, seeing who can be in there and obviously can rotate around. And I think to your point, you said not many guys have rotated in. Those same 11 guys are on the field other than the defensive line. Um, obviously, how we see offenses attacking us, right? Um, they bring in – it's just how offenses are changing in general. The, the mm-hmm. league has changed completely in the, in the 10 years I've been in the league. Base defense is now extinct. Um, you got these pass-catching tight ends. You rarely see a guy that's in there to block. And uh, so I think us matching body on body, it, it's just a matchup game. So I think that's that could be a, a thing that the coaches are thinking about when we go into game day. Well, it's funny you say that because Coach Babich literally just told the media that today. He said, because they're naturally asking him questions about you know the position left behind by Tremaine and how that all shakes out. And he was saying it would be beneficial if you could have two – match up linebackers with the way the game is mm-hmm. going today. Yep. And we know Matt can do that. Yep. And now in an ideal world, you guys have somebody else that can do that in middle linebacker when it all shakes out, right? Yes. Like, Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's a matchup game, right? We we drafted Dalton Kincaid, for example. He's a pass-catching tight yeah. end. Uh, I mean, um, Doss, he's out in the route probably 85% of the mm-hmm. time. I don't know the statistics. I have to ask feels that way. D-Lock about that. Yeah, but it feels that way. And that's across the league, right? You've got these athletic tight ends that can run, make plays. Um, the linebacker position is evolving with that. So um, we obviously have to be able to, to, to play the run. But now more so than ever, the emphasis of being a matchup linebacker in man-to-man coverage is huge. So you 
you get out there, you've got all these draft picks out there, the young guys. Tell us, give us a little thumbnail of this rookie class. Does it have a personality yet? I mean, what are these guys? I mean, who's, are they good <laughs> if team? If they're smart, they're right. staying quiet. Are they good no, yeah, I said, I said, right. I said majority of them are, are quiet, but they right. seem good. I come in pretty early every morning, um, and I eat, I eat breakfast, and they all start rolling in, and we, we lift together. But they're pretty quiet around the breakfast table. Uh, last week, we had a couple guys come over. Um, Gabe had some guys come over to his house just to hang out a little bit, get to mm -hmm. get to know some of them. But um, I think to your point, a lot of them are staying pretty quiet until they start to yeah. to feel the room and see where yeah. they fit Do in. But yeah, they seem all like down. they all yeah. seem like good kids. So yeah, it's just the opposite of the media. All attention is bad attention at this point, right? You yeah. Don't wanna, you don't want to draw it. You're supposed to be good. Just play. Yes. Yeah. It's a yeah. hard it's a hard balance to strike. The other thing that Coach Babbage said this morning to the media that I found interesting. AJ was he and he's been around Sean as you know yep. for several years yep. also about nine years I think he said and he had spent some time with him in Carolina too and he said I think Sean will be different in some ways as the DC now from the DC he was in Carolina because he's because coach is very big about being transformational you know we know we hear him preaching to you guys yep. all the time be the best version of yourselves you know, that daily growth mindset that he's always talking yep. about, be 1% better the next day. But he, he practiced what, practices what yep. he preaches on that front. So if you could say, just being around him for a period of time here in Buffalo as the head coach and also seeing him as a D.C. in Carolina, where do you feel he's been maybe transformational in his own skin, you know, as a, as a leader of men? Well, I, I, to your point, like you said about – being transformational, growth mindset, right? It's not an easy transition. I can't imagine. I remember I talked to him when I first got here. It was like, yeah. how, is it, how is it being a head coach versus a DC? And um, obviously you can't have your, your hands in on the defensive side as much as what he would necessarily like to. Now that he's getting back to that, I think he does a great job delegating leadership. He trusts the coaches in the room. He trusts guys to make the right decision. Um, and I can say that. He's doing that from a leadership position, though. He's out in front, but he's delegating. And um, obviously, when you have that that trust between the coaches, between the head coach, the DC, that just has a trickle down effect into the players. And I think um, with that at, at our forefront, you're going to see this. Hopefully, this defense start to blossom. Even though, right, he's got a lot on his plate. Because I would think young coaches, young coaches in roles like that, DC, or even a young guy that ascends to head coach quickly. I, I always feel, and I could be way off on this, but you tell me, I always feel like when they know it's their name on the product and they're putting their stamp on it, there's this inherent human nature, i got to control everything. Mm -hmm. And I want to, based on what you're saying, I get the sense that he's done this long enough, whether it's D.C. or head coach now, mm -hmm. where he feels comfortable enough in his own skin and his own track record to say, you know what? I'm going to hand this off to Coach Holcomb. Yep. Or I'm going to hand this off to Coach Babb. Yep. Well, I think that's I think that's what he's learned from. Obviously, being in the DC, come to a head coach job, you have to deal with the whole team, right? You just you can't. You have to delegate. You have to delegate. You can't you can't try to control everything. And and if you try to control everything, your, your team's going to fail. And that's just my perspective. And you could probably say that from places across the league or talking to players that have been in systems or places that. The coach tries to control everything. It doesn't work out well. Last one for me, and, and it goes with, back to what, some of what Babich said today as well. He said, they ideally, their guy with the green dot, which is the guy that calls the defense mm -hmm. and says that is that is that middle linebacker yep. guy. Give us some insights of like, what added responsibilities and leadership 
stuff goes with it. I mean, you saw Tremaine do it. You've seen other guys do it He's as done well. It. <laughs> You've done it. You, there's a little extra in that, right? Yep. Give us an idea of what that means to you, how it, how it affects the way you prepare every week, how you interact with other guys, because – you know, you're the guy that calls the defense. You're the guy that everybody looks at. Yeah. You're the guy that's on the field yep. 90% of, 100% of the time. Yeah. Give us an idea of why that guy is different and what goes along with that. Well, I think just to tie that into the head coach job, it's the leader, leadership position on the defense, right? Just like Josh has it on the offense. When the call comes in, guys look to you. When the check needs to be made, guys look to you. You have to be able to have great situational awareness. you got you got to know the job of everybody on the field because you're orchestrating what's going on. Right. And um, – when things go bad, you got to be willing. You got to be <laughs> willing to fail, right? Right. But you also have to be willing to take that responsibility. And I think that's what the leader of the defense has to do: is take that responsibility, whether it's good or bad result, and you have to lead in the front. How does that change your way? Like during the week? I mean, obviously you got to do extra. Do you, you know? Do you have extra private meetings? Do you hold the clicker at these meetings mm -hmm. and say, "Hey, listen, when I do this, you do that. When they do this, I want to do that." All that goes into yeah, it during there, the week. Yeah, the there's there's things during the week lead up wise that um, the back seven guys, right, safeties, DBs, linebackers get together, watch tape, uh, pull out the call sheet, and we'll go through our call sheets and we'll make calls and we'll make checks and and it's just small things like that. For instance, throughout the week in preparation, so you it's your responsibility to get everybody on the same page. And if you're not doing those small things by game day, you're going to have chaos, right? So right. so let me ask you this then, because you as a rookie had to know that stuff. I know you were behind Luke Keekley yep. as a rookie, but you had to know that stuff. What kind of knowing this scheme and all that it entails and the responsibilities in calling it are, how big a learning curve is that for a Dorian Williams who's in your situation nine years later here in Buffalo? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the learning curve is as big as what it seems because this defense has a lot of buckets. Once you learn the, the, the basics of one scheme or one coverage, that stuff tends to stay together, right? So once you learn one system or scheme, it kind of trickles down to the other calls. So I don't think the learning curve is that big. I think it's just the, the, the studying, staying on top of it. And at some point, it's going to click for them, right? It, the, the light bulb will go on, and usually probably halfway through training camp, towards the end of the training camp when the live bullets start flying, um, that's when it starts to click and the game starts to slow down a little bit. And I, I'm sure you could talk to TB and Balin last year, them coming in as rookies. A lot of stuff is just moving really fast. Yeah. And the best thing you can do is put things in the buckets and try to slow things down and slow down your process. It, yeah, it happens in steps because yep. you come in, you don't even know what you don't know. Exactly. Then when you realize what you don't know, <laughs> exactly. you've got to figure out how you're going to learn it. And you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's, like it's, that. All, it's a constant, yeah. Even, yeah. even for me going to year 11, I'm learning stuff defensively and schematic wise of like why certain things are called here. I mean, it's just, you're always learning. I, uh, and just like McDermott as a head coach, always lo learning growth mindset. Um, there's going to be things, doesn't matter how long you're in this league, you're going to have to change, you're going to have to evolve, you're going to have to continue to learn because otherwise you're going to get left behind. And then the last thing I got for you, being the veteran in the room, um, kind of to his point, you don't know what you don't know. These guys might not even know in the meeting room what questions to ask. If they right. see something on tape, they, like, they know they want to mm -hmm. ask a question, but maybe they don't even know how to phrase it yep. because they don't know the nuances of this scheme yet. Yeah. Are there times where you're almost – I got to believe you're asking next level questions that they're not even at yet. But that by doing that in the room, you're in, you're helping those guys that oh, may yeah. not even know how to ask the question. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm I'm a very big believer on clarity. 
And if you can have clarity, you can play faster. You can play with a clear mind. And if you're out there thinking about, well, what did coach say in the meeting on this play? What if this happens? If I don't get the, 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 the question I have answered in the meeting, it's just going to slow me down on the field. So I, and you could probably ask the guys in, in the room, I ask plenty of questions. If I have to stop the meeting and ask Bobby to, to explain something, for myself, I know it's just going to help the other guys. Yeah. So going back to you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to be wrong. Um, if you're wrong, I mean, you, you have to fail to learn, right? So if you get something wrong on tape, ask the question, get it corrected, and move on. Yeah. AJ, thanks for coming in. Man. No, it's I appreciate it. You. Appreciate yeah. you guys having Great me on. Great to have you. Great to have you. Good luck out there through OTAs and obviously getting ready for training camp, which will be here before we Yeah, know it's it. yeah. not too far away. It's not yeah, too yeah. far away. That's AJ Klein joining us here in studio. We will take a break, come back in hour number two with some of the players fresh off the field at the podium addressing the media, including Dawson Knox, when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. Here we are, hour number two on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Task with you. Good conversation there with A.J. Klein, who we thought would be a good guest because not only can he speak to the middle linebacker competition, having been in this defensive system for more than half of his 10-year career, but he's also a, a guy that knows Sean intimately well, having played his first four years in the league under him right. as a defensive coordinator and play caller. So it was really good to kind of get his insight not only on Sean, but on the system right. and on the role of the middle linebacker. Yeah, and it's obvious, too, when he spent time talking with him, even off camera, like we had a chance to when he's coming in and getting leaving, um, you understand why they want him around, too. Oh, yeah. He's a quality guy. He's in it for everybody, not for himself. Although, you know, I, I think – a guy like A.J. Klein, you can point to his personality as one of the reasons he's had such a nice, long long career. He helps the guys around him play better, and he's a really good player himself. Although he does, hasn't started many games, if any, for the Buffalo Bills, plays special teams, does what they want him to do, comes in, and he said it himself. His attitude in the, in the meetings, um, in, on the practice field, and obviously in games, is all about helping the guys around him play their best. Mm-hmm. That's a great example, not only a great example for young players, that you, if you can be secure enough in your own ability to say, let, let me play my best, I'm sure I'm going to have a place on this team. Let me play my best. I'm a, but also, I want us to be successful as we can. Yeah. That attitude and the way his personality, you understand why. I mean, he did. He was in Carol, started in Carolina last year and ended up back in Buffalo for that reason. Um, quality guy and a and a – a great example for young players to say this is how you this is how you be a pro, and it's uh, it's fun to talk to him because he does have so much intimate knowledge about Sean McDermott, his time as a defensive coordinator, now as a head coach too. He's a great resource. Yeah, so good conversation with AJ. If you missed it, 
You can uh, check it out after we're off the air today, probably about a half hour after the show is over. You go to the bottom of buffalobills.com, and you'll see the One Bills Live show listings, and you can just pull it up there, or you can go to the Bills YouTube channel to check it out as well. We turn now to the post-practice table where the players address the media after practice is over, and we begin this afternoon with tight end Dawson Knox. I know there's small personnel in the field. You've got to know, you know, there's a guy here. But the moment he's drafted, I know there's always competition in this league, but I don't think a lot of people are focused on tight end. And then you sit there and go, oh, tight end in the first Yeah. Um, so that actually told me before the draft even happened that that was a possibility. And, um, and after like kind of hearing what we're going to be focused on, if that was the pick I was super excited for it so I was sitting there watching the first round with Josh and some of the guys and you know I'm kind of in the back of my mind hoping he doesn't get picked up so we can you know get him on the team and um, start doing some of this 12 personnel stuff like that's going to be really fun I think it's going to create um, some mismatches for both of us something that um, we might not have had in the past so I think that you know, he's an incredible offensive weapon. Um, anytime you can get a quarterback like Josh more weapons, you know, you should do it. Yeah, but I feel like that's got to be one of the hardest things, though, is the front office. You know, they could probably have gone 15 different routes um, depending on what picks were made before them. But, um, you know, Big Baller Beans got it all under control. He knows what he's doing. Um, so we got all the trust in the world in him. And I was, you know, I've been super excited to have Dalton on the team with us. What are your ex? Uh, just being more intentional with some of the new guys is kind of bringing them to the side. Like, you know, if the twos are gone and Josh is done for that period, he can bring one of the receivers up next to him and kind of go through certain signals or certain calls that he might give up at the line of scrimmage. Just kind of um, being more direct with some of the guys um, on just specifics of whether it's a hand signal when he sees a certain coverage or whether it's, you know, if there's a hot um, route because of a blitz or a pressure, what he expects in terms of eyes, when to, when to look back at him. Just very little intricate details that he's very direct with, um, kind of in between periods. When did you start to notice that? Uh, probably, I mean, he's always been great at doing that, but it's definitely these OTAs that I've seen a little bit more. Um, so that's probably been a point of emphasis for him, but he's always been very intentional. So um, maybe just a little more often now with some of the newer guys. Do you think that's an extensive extension of as players get older, Josh is more, far more comfortable with the playbook, and he's able to do more, and so you, you start looking at other things that you can do? Yeah, for sure. I think anytime you're in the same system for multiple years, you're going to get more comfortable, and then you can kind of graduate to an upper level of understanding. So, I mean, it's basically been the same system for him for, what, five or six years now. Um, so I think... It's, it's like a college course. You know, you start at one-on-one and you just keep going, and now he's at a graduate level and he's um, playing incredible football. So he can kind of hone in on some of those more advanced things and um, some of those more intricacies that he's going to communicate well with us too. Dawson Knox looking to evolve within Ken Dorsey's scheme year two. 
Just uh, being able to do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, maybe a few more option routes here and there and just getting on the same page with Josh and, you know, if me and Dalton are in there at the same time, um, you know, we might be switching up roles here and there, just kind of keeping defense on their heels um, and hoping to, you know, really get some good man-on-man man coverage matchups that we can, um, you know, take advantage of. But I just see myself kind of growing on last year, being a reliable target for Josh when he comes to me, whether it's once a game or ten times a game, um, and just kind of continuing to grow that chemistry because the better time you can get on with the quarterback, the better he trusts you, the better the connection is going to be. Do you see any difference in Ken as an offensive coordinator going into year two and year one, anything he's learned or changed from last year? I think he's just gotten, you know, he's gotten a feel for what he likes and doesn't like. Um, him and Josh have been, you know, inseparable. They're always telling each other what they think works and doesn't work and kind of just taking stuff from last year and building on that. Um, and that relationship with him and Josh has been pretty awesome. So I think just growing on the things that worked from last year and adding in a few new wrinkles here and there. Sweet. Thanks. All right. So that's Dawson Knox addressing the media after practice today, OTA session that began week two of OTAs. And I think naturally he was anticipating he'd be getting a lot of questions about Dalton Kincaid. Interesting that he was apprised of the fact that drafting a tight end was a possibility going into the draft. And he was excited about it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. That's nice when you get a heads what, up like that, I guess. What would you have to tell Dawson Knox to get him excited about taking somebody number one in the draft, number one pick of the draft for the team at his position? I think it, you have to tell him it's not going to impact your time on the field. Right? I think that's, yeah. That's kind of what I got. Hello, and he seemed, and you know, 12 personnel. Right? right? <laughs> I mean, if Dawson Knox is in well, they talked to me, told me it might be a possibility. I mean, and, you know, and I, Dawson's also the ultimate <clears throat> team guy. Yes, so. he is. That's true. It could all be, you know, fluff. But he's. Yeah, I, we're watching him. Right here, we're watching him say this stuff as you're listening to it on the radio. He seems, he always does. He seems genuine. Yeah. Says, I was excited about it. <clears throat> okay. He also commented on Josh, you know, and being more demonstrative in the drills, more authoritative. And um, the other interesting thing there was he said that he and Ken Dorsey have been inseparable. Since they came back to the you facility. And I, listen, you and I were sitting there watching practice today. <laughs> and I know Bill's Mafia always believes this. And 17 is unbelievable. Yeah. He's the dude. He's a freak of nature. As Von, He's a as, freak. As, Von, as one freak, freak of nature right. says in Von Miller, Josh Allen is a freak of nature. He's a freak of nature, and he's a force of nature. The guy is that guy. And... He's a he's a bill for the entirety of his career, and as long as that guy is taking snaps, they're in the conversation for the best team out there. Yeah, that's so. I I think the fact that he's spending time with Ken Dorsey, I think you know a lot has been said. Hey, his focus, his personal life, that 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 all this stuff going on, and you're seeing him all over the country at golf outings, at this event or that event. <clears throat> I know this. He's not forgetting to work out. Yeah. I mean, he's. I, I also, 
I also think he's one of those guys, and I know you had some teammates like this over the years. He's what you call country strong. You know what I mean? You get raised on a farm, and I don't know what happens. I don't know what's in the water, but he can jump high. He can run fast. He can throw the ball a mile. I mean, he does the off-season workouts here with the team. He, like, right. wins the competition every year. He's like he's beating receivers. And they got DBs. these little agility drills. They saw him. They were doing the other day, and they have all these guys mixed in. You know, this offensive linemen, different position groups. defensive backs, wide receivers. The guys winning them again. No matter who's in the drill. Yeah, if it's lifting, he's beating linemen. If they got if like it's nine, running, he's beating receivers. Right, if they got like ten guys going at the same time, he's finishing first. He's the he's the racehorse that has to be the one, first yeah. one to the trough. And I mean, it's just that's just the way he is. And, I, and this thing you said, you're right, work ethic. He did grow up on a farm, and I think one of the things about it is, and I thought about it a lot during my career because I knew guys like this, they grow up and will put in a full day's work on the farm, whatever. I mean a full day's work. Oh, yeah, son of But if it's the right kind of work, they'll put in a 12-hour day, and they say, man, it was a day off. But it was a 12-hour day. Right. That's well, that's the kind of well, different hard work bar is, they have. Hard work is expected. Yeah. So but it's if not it's the a right big kind deal of work, when they have to work. If it's hard. the work that's that's easier than this other work, or if it's funner than this other work, you put in a full day's work doing stuff around the farm. It's like, wow, that was a good, that's fun day, yeah. <laughs> right? Everybody else is like, I wanted to go home at like ten a.m. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when's lunch? <laughs> right. But for guys in that environment, they wake up, and if it's the right, and believe me, football would be considered the right kind of work, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not work. It's not a twelve-hour day, but that's that's the way they were, you know, built. You get these guys that grow up on the farm, and they in they do. Hard work is really hard work, but if it's if it's a different kind of chore on the farm, if you're if you're, you know, if you're picking cotton on the farm, or if you're picking oranges on the farm, or if you're riding on a tractor on the farm. One of those things is really fun and easy to do. It's a 12-hour day that most people are like going, you're going to be this for 12 hours? Eh, better than the other stuff I had to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, that's the mentality. And these guys do this job, this football stuff. They don't know what it, you know, their idea of a hard day's work is different than everybody else's. We have another player that has addressed the media at the post-practice table. It is uh, veteran safety Micah Hyde. Good to see him back in the fold on a regular basis after he missed most of last season with a neck injury suffered in week two. Here is Micah. Good. As um, a guy who is so versatile in the second level, play inside, outside, in the second level, a guy like Taylor Rapp looks like he can do a lot of those same things. How can you help him? And have you, you see those similarities in that your game is still Well, I think the, the best thing for me um, in my early years playing – playing nickel, um, you know, was, was getting reps at safety also. Kind of learning the, the complete defense, um, knowing what they're doing on the other side of the field, um, knowing what the, the defensive line is doing, knowing what the linebacker is doing. And then from there, once you know what everybody's doing, you can play fast. So the skill set takes care of itself. It's really more about understanding how everything fits together. Exactly, exactly. So I, I, in this defense that we play, it doesn't matter if it's strong safety, free safety, nickel, uh, sometimes will. Uh, you know, it's it's basically the same position. You get put in the same position every now and then, so you got to know everything. What are the differences in what you take on with, with Sean kind of more directly calling the shots on that side of the ball now? What's different about it or familiar perhaps? Because... It seems the same to me right now. 
Um, just just being out there OTA practices, it seems the same. Uh, obviously, Sean is is somewhat in the meetings a little more now, and um, he's a he's a very uh, very intense guy, go getter guy, which you know we've we've experienced that since 2017. So um, love to work with him, and and um, you know he he loves to talk ball, and he um, you know wants us to be wants us to be smart, and then from there play fast. What new what new things are you finding out about McDermott now that he's around a little bit more? What new things? Yeah. Perspectives that you didn't know or didn't notice. Oh, I'm, you know, I, I guess just as a fan of football, um, I'm curious. You know, I've had I've had an offensive-minded uh, coach before in Green Bay that called the plays and was in the offensive room a lot. So, um, I, I mean, I'm speaking to, for the head coach. So now, just as a fan of football, you know, I'm kind of just um, learning from him how he's how he's approaching this role uh, of being the head coach and also calling plays and. And being in the defensive room and all that, and, and at the same time still showing love to the offense. So, um, yeah, I'm just I'm just a fan of football, seeing how he's getting it done. What do you think about the Bills' defense? There's always been, like, at least the last five or six years, there's been four guys. It's the safety, it's Trey, it's the linebackers. Well, now one of those guys is gone. Has anything changed for the other four players that have been here really for these last five or six years? Um, I think everybody just has to uh, to ramp it up a little bit. Um, you know, I think that we've all in the last how many years with those with those cores guys, you know, at the end of the day, we haven't won a Super Bowl yet, so uh, we've come up a little bit short. So I think just all around, whether it's the core guys or guys just getting here, um, I think everyone just has to, to, to ramp it up a little bit and uh, understand that what we've been doing these last couple of years isn't getting it done. Um, we all got to get better in every area, and, and it doesn't matter if um, guys have come and gone throughout the, throughout the years. Um, just continue to, to work together and, and get better. You guys haven't been together, amazingly, all three of you, you, Trey, and, and Poe, for what, a year and a half or something. I know I understand the setting out here, but what, it's been, what has it been like, you guys reuniting and, and sharing the field again? Uh, it's awesome. It's amazing. Um, obviously, Trey made it back last season, uh, Thanksgiving, and I was uh, loving every minute of that, seeing him go out there and, and, and compete. Um, you know, even though he wasn't, he felt like he wasn't um, 100%. He was still putting putting his body on the line and, and trying to help this team. So for this season, for us to get back, all being healthy, um, could bring a tear to my eye. Cause I love playing with these guys, man. It's uh, we were just talking about the other day. Tre'Davious coming in in 2017. The first day he walked in, didn't talk to nobody, didn't say anything to anyone. I had to approach him, say what's up. So um, these are guys that throughout the years we've uh, we've all grown together. Um, you know, from Tre'Davious' rookie year to Poe and I being our fifth year coming in, trying to make a name for ourselves, and um, just you know, Taryn coming in the following year and playing a bunch of snaps together, um, all having kids and getting married and all that type of stuff. So just became matured together, became men together. So to be back out there means the world. You have a new appreciation, maybe for what maybe you took for granted, maybe unknowingly, that you guys were just to set it and forget it for so long and. It hasn't been that way for a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I think this, uh, it's safe to say that this this place is a better organization when, when you know, when we're all healthy. Um, it is what it is. And so uh, we're just going to continue to go out there and compete and um, try to help this team win ball, win ball games. Speaking of that, um, uh, comebacks, um, when uh, DeMar is ready for contact, I, I just have to ask as a as a person like is it, there going to be any hesitancy to engage him physically or because he's he's obviously clear to play but is there a mental aspect of getting fully 100 percent into contact with your teammate uh, i'm sure there is i'm sure there is um you know anytime you, you know, uh, no one's been through that situation before but 
anytime someone's someone's injured or whatever, there's a little mental block to get out there and go out there and play fast. Such a violent game. Um, I can speak from my perspective, having neck surgery last season and going out there. I think I prepared myself last season um, knowing that, you know, if we would have won that playoff game, I was going to be out there. So I already, you know, trained my mind. So going throughout this whole offseason, like I'm – I'm ready to go. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to hit. I'm ready to tackle. I'm ready to do whatever. So um, I can't necessarily speak for 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 D Ham, but um, I know that he is probably training his mind right now to mentally get out there and and when the time comes to tackle and to hit, he'll be ready. Well, I said this last year, even when he came back, it was good to see him. But every time I see him, it's just a, it's just a, uh, it seems like a bright light. You know, he just brings positivity. He's fun to be around. I was joking with him today. He was looking swole. Uh, he said he got a little lift in last night. Um, so it's just good to have Dehan back and, and, and talking ball and him going to um, practice, getting reps and stuff like that. But I think all in all, he's just a great dude to be around. And you could be off the football field. Um, and he's just fun to be around. So it was good to have him back in the meeting rooms, joking around, and uh, as D. Ham. How has your communications been with the linebackers these past couple of weeks in OTAs, and how has uh, Tyrell Dobson emerged as that guy? Uh, well, I think that uh, I think that the the last couple of weeks just they've kind of been rotating. Um, so you know, I think on uh, for us in the back end, um, communicating with guys like we just talked about the core guys being here. We understand. We see you know, what each other sees and the communication aspect of, of making calls and all that type of stuff is, is pretty, I don't want to say easy because no matter what, it's, it's never easy, but it's it's easier. Um, but when you have guys that are rotating, it's, you know, kind of unfamiliar, making calls and stuff like that, see the same things, but they're doing an amazing job. You know, T-Dot's out there being vocal, um, which is which is something that, you know, he I'm sure they had to um, get on him about about being more vocal, especially being the middle linebacker and, and getting the defense lined up and stuff like that. So, uh, but they're all doing an amazing job. Um, and I know that, with my past experience with Bobby Babich, um, you know he's going to get those boys right. He's going to he's going to talk so much <laughs> to, and he's going to get on their nerves. And I hope he sees this to to where they're making the right calls. That's what he does. He's an awesome coach. Um, he took you know obviously Poe and I to to where we are today, um, Maine and Milano to where they to where they are today. So he'll do the same with those young guys. Yeah, I, mean, I think ultimately all we can do is just do the best we can communicating. Um, we work with from the from the back seven. We work together, obviously, every single play, making calls and stuff like that. And we got to see the same things. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this OTAs is important because um, it's really the middle linebacker show. Like, if you make a call and it's wrong, we're all playing that wrong call, no matter what, we're on the same same sheet of music. So um, I think it's just about being confident and, and having those young guys just being precise, make a call, and let's go out there and play fast. You got to be crazy. You got to be crazy. Um, no, you know, I, I'm, I'm joking around, but I'm being kind of serious. Uh, to play this game each and every week, you got to be wired different. Um, and uh, you got to have a chip on your shoulder. So for me, um, almost getting back last year, but then having this whole offseason to, to prepare, um, I'm excited. I'm 32. What 32-year-old comes back after neck surgery and, and balls out? Uh, that's what I'm trying to do. So 
Um, you know, you gotta you gotta be a little wired different, but a lot of guys around here are like that, and that's what's that's what's uh, you know cool to be around a bunch of different guys. I pictured myself from when I got surgery and I was, you know, back in San Diego and I was talking to my wife about um, trying to convince my doctor to eventually let me get back. I knew the window and I and I just told myself, you know, AFC championship game, I'm going to be out there and be ready. So I had a timeline that was building up until then. And I think that that's what a lot of guys do when it comes to injuries. You know, they have a timeline of when they want to get back. Um, and you just you keep meet, meeting those goals, you know, throughout the process, and eventually it comes, and you just gotta, you know, mentally be ready to go. But a lot of the time, uh, I think it's safe to say, physically you you you'll feel you'll feel better, um, and you'll feel ready to go. But mentally, you have to really prepare yourself. And the NFL is really a mental game. Each and every week, you got to be committed to go out there and play fast, and on top of that, watch a lot of film. So I think the guys that play um, a bunch of years you know, 10 plus years are mentally um, just that much better than, than everybody else. Yeah. You know, I was joking around the other day, but I was doing too much. <laughs> I was doing too much, but it, you know, it just kept me engaged. Um, I feel like, you know, I needed it more than what the what the team did. And so, you know, just speaking to some guys, they said no, it was cool that I was around. But I just think mentally for me, I didn't want to get, you know, I didn't want to be away a, a too long and kind of forget what if it was a playbook or my job or whatever. So I try to stay engaged, be in the meetings each and every week. And I think mentally you always have room to grow, whether if you can't get on the field or not. I, I think last year helped me out. I learned, you know, a few more things uh, scheme-wise, football-wise, kind of put myself in the offensive coordinator um, position going against our defense and understanding the weaknesses of our defense or or matchup wise what they're looking for. So um, I'm not going to be a coach one day. I'm going to say that right now. But mentally, it prepared me for for this season. I don't think we've talked to you since Aaron Rodgers got traded to the Jets, mm. the former teammate. And yep. I think Randall. I think you played with Randall. Yeah. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Great friends. Yeah. What's that like for you knowing that you're going to face him twice a year? It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I joke around already. I got a I got a trophy case back in San Diego. I got some pretty good interception balls in there. I got Pat Mahomes. I got Tom Brady, and I'm, I'm looking to get I'm looking to get Aaron. So um, I can't wait to to see him to tell him that. But uh, no, just great friends, and and I love the competition. Love to compete. Um, see, obviously, seeing them guys do what they did in Green Bay for all those years. I was a part of it four years, and you know, it's just playing remarkable ball. So, um, like I said, great friends. But come Sunday or Monday night, opening weekend. Uh, We'll be ready to go. It's no sh no hugs and laughing. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be game time. Where you're not gonna you're not gonna remember you said that when we ask you about it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably gonna happen for sure. All right, that's Micah Hyde addressing the media, already playing coy on saying he wants to get a pick off Aaron Rodgers in Week One to add to his trophy case. Uh, since he's got one on Brady, he's got another on Mahomes. Would love to add Rodgers. That would be three for three in the Hall of Fame category in terms of picks off of quarterbacks, you would think. That'd be nice. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's what every DB would have as their highest standard, <laughs> who they pick off. Uh, and also, it was, it was nice to hear him say how much he missed being away when he was away due to the neck injury. It's kind of the old don't know what you got till it's gone kind of thing. Right. He just He's really, really happy to be back. And 
you know, Poyer was here last week, at least during the day that we were able to watch, but was not participating. He was kind of observing. This week he was back in the fold participating. So it was, you know, Jordan and Micah, you know, the band was back together again, I guess, so to speak. Right. Jo yeah. Jordan, Micah, Trey, Taryn. Taryn. You know, the, you know, the whole crew. And then Elam and Benford. and the Dane. Dane. I mean, it's, it's like getting the band. The boys are back in town kind of thing. But it's it's going to be fun to think it, think about. And we were talking to A.J. Klein as he was in here on the last segment about how nice it is and how good he feels. Well, it is May, right? So. <laughs> Nobody's so, hitting yet. Right, nobody's hitting. But to have to be able to think about how good those guys have been in the past and to have them all back intact, all healthy at once, no telling how long it lasts, of course. Right. But man, oh man, um, it gives you some gives you some comfort knowing that Sean McDermott's going to be calling the plays and you got some pretty good players out there running them. We have to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, more of the discussion on OTA sessions. Your phone calls if you want to join us at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. And perhaps a little time for some NFL true-false. It's been a minute here on One Bills Live. We may be bringing that to you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Tuesday. And Steve, I think it's time. That we fire up a little NFL true-false, which, as you know, is presented by Patron Tequila, <laughs> the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. I should say something. Let's light this candle. Do something. What, what's the, what is the proper, <laughs> what is the proper, you know. Arriba Patron. <laughs> there you go. Something, something like that. Whatever. Let's go. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> NFL true-false number one, Steve. The Jets would be the top candidate. For HBO's Hard Knocks oh. this year. Oh. Now, the last time they were was the Rex Ryan Jets. Let's go get a GD snack, if you remember. That was the trademark line from that edition. I'm just going down the list of better candidates, and I'm having trouble coming up with a single one. It was the one. Lions last year, sure, right? They're done. All the playoff teams don't have to do it. Who would it be? Maybe the Giants might be a good one too. Could you see? But did, there is. Did you see Dable and Shane signing off on that? I don't know. Let me just say this: the Jets on Hard Knocks would be absolutely delicious, and I don't even watch that show. I would tune in for that. Yeah, okay. That, that show would do Super Bowl numbers. <laughs> I, it wouldn't do. There's no way it did. I don't. Think but it I'm would. telling you what: it would. People it would, would watch kill. it. It would kill it in the numbers. I, yes. Oh, my goodness. They have to be the, the top candidate for HBO. Right. I, you know, it comes down. If I'm, a, if I'm a betting man and I'm not, I would expect Sala to say, no way, Jose. Because the expectations are already through the roof. I don't know. You might say. You want all gas and no brakes that? I don't know. Maybe. Just because if it all you know, if it all goes south, the real reasons won't will be shown. It won't be you. You got to have confidence. It ain't gonna be you that messes oh. it up, right? So, so you're at least go full send on it. Go full. Yes, absolutely. We'll do it because Sala is. Let's face it. Sala is a guy that there's a lot of respect for him around the league. His players love him. His coaches love his coaches loving. Uh, 
his competitors and fellow head coaches have a lot of respect for the guy, both as a coordinator and now as a head coach. Yeah. If it goes belly up in New York, if I'm Salah, I would have enough faith in myself to say, you know what, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make this happen and let it go. Because if it does go belly up, there's going to be 31 other owners going, you know, Salah was actually the, a guy that really tried to keep it afloat. I yeah. like that guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I get some now, of that. Do I think it would add gasoline to what is already stands to be <laughs> one spark away from a bonfire? A towering inferno. Exactly. It's going to be one spark away. There's going to be so much fuel in that locker room. You're going to be smoking a big fat cigar sitting on top of an open pool of gasoline. Yeah. So I don't know how much you you know I don't know how much you want to you know highly flammable. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you want to, like, just totally throw away the ashtray in that situation, but I think you would be if you if you agree to be on that show. You were absolutely sitting in a pair of underwear over a pool of gasoline, smoking. If you if you bring hard knocks, I just think you're you're only asking, you're inviting the New York media to ask you about more stuff that they otherwise would have no clue about in a year of unbridled. And insanely lofty expectations. Wait, though, what would be the jetsiest thing to do? To say yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And not only oh. say yes, not only say yes, but go and double down and say, not only are we going to say yes, it's going to be the greatest. It's going to be, it's going to be the, the most unbelievable hard knocks of all time. Watch us. <laughs> that would be the jetsiest thing to do. You have any and all access, no restrictions. We will okay all footage. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that'd be something. That would. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> are you saying? I say they are the top candidate. Absolutely. I'm still not convinced they're going to take. They may take not. The bait. They may not get it, but I'll say words going to come they out. Are they're the going to be asked. They're going to be asked for sure. And I, I, I would say, HBO would. Oh, they'd act, be over the moon if uh, they could yes, land the Jets. Yes. Now, I'm sure the Jets will say yes, it, except that, you know, we, they get final say in what's going to be aired, of right. course. They're going to have, you know, all that stuff. NFL true-false number two. Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott is facing a make-or-break season in 2023. <laughs> no. That's false. Dak could come out and stumble and bumble his way through the entire season he's still going to be their starting quarterback for the foreseeable future his deal demands it i and i think it does anyway um dak prescott's not going anywhere no matter how this season goes there there is an out in his contract in 2024 this is his age 30 season and mm -hmm. uh the cowboys can get out from under it in 2024, so next off season, which would only leave the final year of his deal on the books, dead cap 61.9 million. Do you remember when it was like unheard of to have a dead cap of like 20 million on a player? And then the Carson Wentz trade happened. The, the Eagles absorb 37 million in dead cap, and then it's like, oh yeah, it's just dead cap. Don't worry about it. Right. Oh, there, we got a potential out in the contract for Dak too. Oh yeah, how much is it? Ah, it's about 62 million in dead cap. It's not a big deal. Come right. again? He's got a four-year, 
$160 million deal, guaranteed $126 million of it is guaranteed, yeah. and it expires in 2025. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. How far do you think he has to get to keep Here's the thing. The it's not a make off or, his back. It's not you have a, to win the NFC? Right. It's not a make or break year for him. Like, they got to go to and win the Super Bowl, or they got to win blah, 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 blah. They don't even have to go to the playoffs, depending on what happens around what? them. What? Depending on what happens around him. Okay. There's a scenario there where he plays well, the team flops, tough injuries, or two or three other teams in the East go off unexpectedly. Philly plays well, the Giants play well, and Dallas is left out of it by the skin of their teeth because the other division winners play well, right? Like they go 10 and 7. Right, exactly. The they go 10 and 7, they get shut out. Or 11 and 6, and they go shut, get shut out because there's, you know. Seven tiebreakers. Right. That, that could happen. So it's okay. not a make or break year for him. And even even though if he plays like he has, he's okay. I, I would tend to say false too, not so much because of Prescott, but because of past precedent with Jerry Jones and the right. Cowboys organization. Tony Romo didn't win him a hill of beans, and they kept going back to him year after right. year after year and didn't change or make a change at the quarterback position. So for those reasons of past precedent – yeah, they, I will say false as well. Yeah, they tend to, yeah, get their favorite quarterback's name Stick tattooed on them and yeah. go. Yeah. All right, NFL true false number three, Steve. The Seahawks should have drafted a quarterback with at least one of their two first round picks. They picked five and twenty. They were one of five teams with two first rounders, and they did not take a quarterback in what was deemed to be a relatively quarterback-rich draft at the top? I would say no, because next year has every look, every indication that it's going to be a quarterback-rich draft. Geno Smith earned the job. You don't want to throw a, a you know, you don't want to throw a wrench into that machine that Geno Smith came out and had his best year as a pro by far and was it maybe – well, he won, was he the comeback player of the year? Did they – uh, I can't remember. He came back from being obscure <laughs> into prominence because he played well. That was probably as big a surprise as any surprise in the league this year was Geno Smith's play at quarterback yes, for the was. Seattle Seahawks. He was the comeback player of the year, and he came back from being obscure, not from being <laughs> injured. He came back from mediocrity. <laughs> That's his comeback. Yeah, he came back from irrelevancy. That was his comeback. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Doesn't get that, bigger than that. What are you – that's the criteria now? You have to suck for a decade and then come back and get a shot at it and then you can be comeback player of the year yeah. because you stunk and now you don't? That's – so, yes, I think because of Geno Smith and they just gave him a new deal, no, ride him. You, he – at some deep part – I don't know Geno from anybody – I know what his reputation was with the Jets. It, it didn't go well. He was a little entitled. He was hard to get along with. He had his teammates breaking his jaw. I mean, he was not a fun guy to be around. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about second chances, and Seattle gave him one, and he has made the most of it. So, for all of those things, I, there's got to be something inside Geno Smith that says, man, oh, man, I owe it to this organization. I owe it to myself, to my organization, to my teammates. I'm going to be this guy. Let's go. So, no. I don't think the Seattle Seahawks should have drafted a guy to start replacing him just after they've discovered him and he's rediscovered himself. 
I think the players they drafted will say a lot about whether this was the right or the wrong call. They got Devin Witherspoon, one of the best corners in the draft, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, arguably the best route-running receiver in the draft. If those guys pan out for today's Seahawks, they're going to look really, really smart, and people aren't going to care that they skipped out on – That's right. You know, Levis or anybody else. Right. You know, Hendon Hooker. We got to take a break here, but that was NFL True Falls presented by Patron Tequila, the official tequila of the Buffalo Bills. We take a break, some final thoughts, and maybe a phone call when we return here on One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. One final segment. We're going to take a uh, quick call here. We'll go to Mark in West Seneca. Mark, you got about 30 seconds. What do you got for us? Oh, then quickly, guys. Uh, I've wanted to ask this question for a long time, and you both have a unique perspective from the media standpoint, from the, the locker room. Um, if there's any kind of trait that you've noticed that is similar between Jim Kelly and Josh, something behind the scenes that wouldn't be apparent to the fans or, you know, the obvious stuff of from looking at it from watching games and whatever and seeing interviews, but just some something behind the scenes that you've noticed that uh, they're very similar in whatever way because okay. uh, they're both obviously Jim Kelly, besides you, Steve, is one of my favorite all-time players. Right. All right. And if, if you're a Bills fan, who doesn't love Josh these days? All right. So, That's a good question. Thanks, guys. Um, Brownie, you want to go first? I'll just be brief and say, for me, it's the ability to rally people around them. They are magnetic personalities in a locker room, which is not always easy, even at the quarterback position, but they're both very good at pulling people together and moving them in one direction. That's exactly what I was going to say. Jim and Josh are the same in one respect. Guys want to join them. They want to jump on with them and let's go. Both very different personalities, but the same effect. Everybody wants to play football with them. That's it for us on a Tuesday. We'll catch you on Wednesday at 1.